Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beyond Business Podcast. My name's Charles Mackay. Today we had the absolute pleasure of interviewing James McCarthy, the CEO and co-founder of Cradle. James and I had the pleasure to meet in, at Inbound last year in 2019 through a great friend of ours, Clota Higgins. In that conversation, we had a really interesting chat around business, business values and personal values and how important it is to have them ingrained within your business and so that you hire the right people and keep the right people. But we don't really go that far into that today. We talk about how James started Cradle, what the problem he was trying to solve at the time, and now how that business has evolved um, into the business it is today and where it's going in the future. James is located in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, and one really interesting stat that he mentioned through this COVID period is that 40% call volume is up over 40% in the last few weeks. Just shows how important it is to talk to people and how people want to talk to you. But without going to the detail of how James started Cradle, because that's what we're going to cover in the episode, I'm going to hand over to James and myself to get right into it. James, what a pleasure it is to have you on today. Um, So James McCarthy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, CEO of Cradle, co-founder of Cradle, but Whereabouts are you sitting in these interesting times, my friend? Yeah, yeah, look, thanks very much, Charles. Um, where am I sitting? I am sitting right here in Auckland, New Zealand, uh, stuck in my house under alert level four, unable to leave, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, having a lot of fun uh, walking around 74 square metres on my own. <laughs> yeah, what's your, uh, what's your record kilometres clocked up in a day? I think one day did so we're allowed to go for a walk, and one day we went out for about eleven k walk around the city, but yeah. within within what they're allowing allowing us to do as local. Yeah. So yeah, lots of lots of walking and not a lot of much else outside. So so haven't tried to clock up the marathon in the apartment yet. <laughs> no, nah, no, I'm not competing with the um, what is the, the the Joker in the in the UK who's walking <laughs> laps of his backyard. Yeah, that's that's classic, classic. So. James, um, it's awesome to have you on today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to chatting to you too. So we, um, we were lucky enough to meet at Inbound last year and have a really interesting conversation with a good friend of ours, both of ours, Clota. Um, and since then, we've been able to build a bit of a relationship and talk about lots of things but, and do some work together. Um, but let's sort of rewind a little bit. Um, tell us, obviously, you're from New Zealand. Um, tell us, you know, where, where your sort of business career got started and, you know, how you've got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So look, um, I, I did engineering at uni and left uni in about 2005. And at about the same time as I got back from my OV, there was a uh, helicopter crash in New Zealand, quite a famous helicopter crash. One of the sort of wealthier New Zealanders, if you like, was flying from one end of the country to the other. Um, and at the time I happened to have a sort of a temporary job working for another guy who was a helicopter pilot. Now this crash prompted a, like a more than two week search and rescue mission to try and find the the wreckage. And the guy that I was working for and his wife became quite anxious about the fact that this was a problem, um, that he could go through. Uh, he could be out flying, he could crash or even just have to land somewhere. The helicopter Mm. could go missing for more than, you know, more than an hour, more than a week. And nobody would know where it is. Uh, mm. So obvious problem. And then we went about making a solution so that even the smallest of helicopters could have a device on it. And someone who wasn't on the aircraft could see where it was when it was flying and could check that it continued to fly and then even get alerted if something went wrong. 
so we started a company called Spider Tracks. There were about three or four of us that did a whole lot of stuff back in 2006, 2007. Mm. Um, so we launched, you know, across New Zealand and Australia in late 2006, early 2007. Uh, and basically we said about, you know, our mission there was just to basically make the aviation world a safer place to operate. Yeah. Um, you know, in the first instance, sort of uh, a post crash, make sure that if something did happen, you could go and solve it quickly. And, and, you know, if someone was alive, go and find them. And we've got some great uh, stories of those things, uh, mm. those events happening and us being successful with those. Um, but then move more into like how do we how do we be proactive about making sure that a, an aviation business is a safe business to run and, and operate? How do we mm. make sure that the pilots are flying pop properly and that all of those sort of preventative things are being done? Uh, so the spider tracks over the last twelve or thirteen years has pivoted more into helping businesses be proactive about safety as well as still being there as a you know, as a tool to make sure that if an aircraft does crash, you've got information on where that's happened. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's my like my first venture into business. I I was um, deeply involved in spider tracks for a decade. Yeah. Um, and we sold uh, heaps and heaps of tracking units to lots of different aircraft operators all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, started off, I think our biggest initial order, probably the the one order that more than doubled the size of our customer base, came out of Victoria in two thousand and seven. Hmm. Uh, obviously, um, firefighting was a was a big thing in Aussie. And yep. um, they had a need to, to know where those aircraft were when they were fighting fires. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the government departments over there bought a whole lot of stuff off us and more than doubled the size of our customer base. Wow. And yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. So yeah, we've got um, thousands now, thousands of aircraft around the world, which are tracked by our, our system and, and you know, we're trying to help keep those people safe. Yeah, wow, that's, that's fascinating. And so that business is still running today? Yep, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we still, you know, we've got, um, we're probably the largest by number of aircraft tracked aircraft tracking provider in the world. Wow. Wow. Uh, with a focus uh, on, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and obviously in this current climate with planes, not in the sky, um, I'm sure that that business is finding some really interesting things out. Yeah, we're learning. So I'm still involved with that business and we don't focus on what I'll call scheduled commercial aviation. So your, mm -hmm. you know, your Qantas, Jetstar, Air New Zealand, Emirates, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. They're not our customer. Um, and those guys, that big end of town has really been hit. Most of those planes are getting yeah. Yeah. Uh, mothballed around the place. Yeah. Um, we're more focused on smaller aircraft and the sort of customers that we have are doing things like checking that oil pipelines are safe, mm. uh, fighting, fighting fires. Mm. Um, and that these are all much more essential things. So, um, that part of the industry, whilst everyone's been affected right now, it hasn't been as affected as the top end of town. Yeah. I, I do have a, an aeroplane tracker app just because it's fascinating. When you put it over America and you see there's no land, it's all planes. You're like, wow, <laughs> there's a lot yeah, of planes. Yeah, that flight, flight radar 24 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's fascinating. I'm sure we could probably talk about that for hours in a nutshell of that 10-year journey within that business and what you've learned. Um, but I think there's a reason why you've started this business, um, which, you know, I suppose what was, if you can tell us about the driver and the current problem that you, you, you know, you're trying to solve with the business that you're in now with Cradle, um, and give us a quick, you know, overlap of what Cradle is. Um, but yeah, what's, what's that core problem and how did it come about? 
Yeah, so I think it's probably best to tell the story of how it came about. And it was a little bit of an internal story that was also reflected in the way that we at SpiderTracks were dealing with our external customers. So there was a, a situation where someone internally said to me, hey, James, did you get my email? And I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't get your email. What's it? Oh, it's about the Slack message I sent you, which is about the, the Jira ticket that's open on a Confluence page. And I was like, look, just talk to me. And I, I said, talk to me like a fucking human. Um, all I wanted to do was just have a quick interaction and find out what was going on. And we had all of these tools yeah. which were getting in the way of us just talking to each other. Yeah. Uh, all we needed to do was sign off on something. And once that, you know, that process was done, all of the work could keep continuing. Yeah. Um, but getting the right person on the phone or in person to have a conversation was just becoming more problematic for us. Yeah. Um, so aside from that little outburst in the office, we kind of reflected a little bit on what we'd done uh, with our customers externally as well. And mm. we had all of these tools in place. We were pushing them to the knowledge bases and the help desks and um, asking them to do a whole lot of things mm. uh, that tried to get them off the phone. Yeah. Um, obviously, SpiderTracks operating in aviation with quite a large export market was dealing with customers from all over the place. And we had salespeople with mobiles in different markets, lots of different numbers in the market, and then difficulties as well when someone in the US, for example, picked up the phone and dialed our 1-800 number, mm. getting a phone to ring here in New Zealand where most of our support team was, was actually just challenging. Yeah. And it's not as challenging anymore because the world's just become more globalized and the tools and software and, and telephone services have improved. Uh, but basically, the phone experience when you called our business was shit. And <laughs> yeah. our customers wanted to talk to us, but getting us on the phone was difficult. Yeah. So there was this problem of just getting the right person on the phone uh, at the right time. Yeah. And then having that person be able to help whoever it was that was calling. Uh, so basically, we started off with this, okay, calling a business is a shitty experience. That was probably the problem. Uh, and how do we give a medium-sized business that's operating in this new international world, a tool so that when mm. their customer calls, the right person can answer the phone, have the correct context, all that data can be saved so that we've got this view of their customer that really sums up what's happening with them. Are they having a good time, having a bad time? What comms have we had with them? How yeah. can I help them right now so that they're going to be more successful with our product? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It makes so much sense to me and I also know how complex that is. <laughs> um, so, and I can imagine through that journey, you know, as we've gone from these, you know, traditional legacy phone systems to, you know, that was the only way to communicate. Then it was email. We've gone to all of these channels and everyone's saying no one answers the phone, but reality is what's the easiest way to articulate something if there's communication issues. If you can't do a video call, I pick up the phone. I still like a hundred percent. I do that because like for me personally too, I'm dyslexic. So to write it in an email and get it sometimes out makes no sense to anyone until I talk through it. Um, yeah. So and often like an email's static, right? Once you've sent it, the, the information that's in there is going to be interpreted and read by whoever receives it. Uh, how, according to whatever their concept is at the time when they open it and you can't you can't alter your messaging you can't change the information you're putting in there based on questions that they're answering so it's a pretty it's a, as i said it's a static form of communication that can't really help you once it's gone it can just convey whatever you thought the problem might be and mm. one maybe two potential solutions so the the dynamic nature of a phone call and your ability to ask questions and vary what you're saying vary your emotional tone and just mm. connect like a human <laughs> to the person on the other end of the phone is really useful 
Yeah, yeah. It's it is fascinating. It's it's such an important piece. I just, you know, we're obviously being pushed pretty hard on you know conversational marketing and email, like all of these other channels. But it's it's still a massive channel. What's um since you've obviously built this and you've got it going and you've started to see it and you've probably worked with industries and sectors that have gone very heavy digital and gone, you know what, we need to fix the phone. Like what are you seeing and learning as people adapt to smart, what I call smart telephony, not just telephony. What are you starting to learn? So uh, one of our early hypotheses was that um, we would create technology which solved this problem of the phone experience being shit. Yeah. And we thought that we could do that by understanding previous interactions and relationships and getting either the same or a similar skill set person on the phone. Mm-hmm. And we, we created this sort of feature set that we kind of rolled out and called smart routing, where we we're going to route the call to the, to the best person. Now that sort of works, but it didn't solve the problem of phone experiences being less mm-hmm. than great. Mm. And um, so we, we started collecting. In order to do that, we collected a whole lot of data on who people were talking to and how long they were talking for and what people's answer rates were and, and that sort of thing. Mm. And what we started seeing was that the people who anecdotally were really good on the phone had certain things that, they, that we could, were reflected in the data. And those who weren't also had things that were reflected in the data. Mm. Um, even simple things like how long does it take them to answer the phone? Some people like talking on the phone and they do a good job on the phone. And some people just don't want to be on the phones at all. Mm. And we've seen businesses where two people with the same job title are meant to be helping their customers on the phone. And one of them just doesn't want to talk. It takes them 15 seconds to answer the phone and then they miss half of their calls. Uh, So basically what we saw is that if you have some of this data, you're able to understand which person on your team is actually good at frontline phone call answering. And, some, mm. and which person isn't and should be doing something else, maybe writing help docs or maybe managing people internally, but definitely not talking to people on the phone. Mm. And, and the outcomes that you get from those people match the sort of the data that we had. And we kept getting more and more questions from customers on, hey, can you tell us what this person's like on the phone? Can you tell us what that person's like on the phone? Mm. Uh, so we move much more into providing managers with insight into the way that their team worked on the phone Mm. Um, than just trying to trying to short circuit things and use tech to solve the mm. problem, mm. and that for us has been a you know an improvement, a dramatic improvement in the way that our customers are able to support theirs on the calling. Yeah, that that's um it's 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 fascinating. And are most of these customers driving people to the phone, or are they giving people the option of whatever channel they want, um, pick phone if you want, or um, there's. There's a mixture of all of these things. Like some of our customers are like they have various sites and those sites are like permanently on the phone and they don't do any non-phone based communication. And we have some customers that just want to have a phone number there so that those people within their customer base who want the security of knowing that they can call someone can call someone. Uh, so I, I, yeah, there's definitely no sort of blanket answer to that question of like, yeah, everyone's driving people to the phone. Yeah. 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 And no, I totally took, so um, you've been doing this for a couple of years now and you want people to have a, a fucking conversation <laughs> or a human conversation, as you, as you say. Um, do you think you've achieved that today? Um, I think by and large, we, we're going a, a long way towards that. Yeah. Uh, so I was, talking to, I was talking to someone this morning, actually, and 
we, we internally, we're struggling a little bit to articulate all of the value that we bring to a business. Cause sure, we're a phone system, but by being hooked into HubSpot, for example, mm. providing that insight, but also making the, or giving the person who answers the call, the tools to be much more human in the way that they communicate yeah. um, is, is we're, we're struggling to sort of tangibly wrap that up into what that value is. Yeah. Um, but when we have conversations like, so at the moment, a lot of businesses are struggling, right? And they're looking at cost and they're coming and talking to us and saying, hey, look, you know, we can't afford this, but we, we can't afford not to have you guys. Um, so how do, we, how do we get through this next period? Because mm. we don't want to go back to just having a mobile phone sitting on a desk in an office somewhere and having it ring and no one answers. Or when you answer, you have no idea who they are. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't want that and can't have that. Um, so I think, looking at it from that angle of people see the value and really get um, why having us as part of their business is important mm. um, demonstrates the fact that these conversations are actually of value. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with you. Like the current situation is tough, but in saying that um, if I ring someone and you know, I ring the company line and then you, they answer it and know who I am, probably I, if, if, if like, if I rang you, and you said, hey, Charles, how are you? I'd be like, how cool is that? Like, they knew who I was. I can see how a lot of people would be like, wow, that's just creepy. Like, who are you? But I think we're going into a world where people go, you know what? I, I respect that. They've obviously got things pretty well set up. So I now like that. Um, and then to be able to go, uh, you know, hi, Charles, how are you? So I saw last week you were doing this and then you're just like, wow, like this guy is totally tapped into how we're working, understands my business, all of that. It's just the experience at the end of the day is going to be better, which then will create a better human-to-human conversation. So I would say that you are a long way into that journey of solving that problem. It's just, you know, like any early adoption thing, people don't get it. Um, and you know, hopefully that's what we're trying to talk about today is to understand like that was the problem. This is what's possible. Um, yeah. Well, just to give an example. So, um, and I'm sure that these guys won't mind me calling them out, but uh, we have a customer called Henry. Uh, they're a New Zealand based company and they do sort of, they do software to help sole traders and contractors basically manage all their tax and expenses and invoicing and all of that sort of stuff. And they use us for all their phones. And, a friend of mine called them. He uses them. He's, you know, like knows that they use us, but wasn't really kind of aware of what was going on. And he signed up for them, had a problem and called them and they like answered the phone with his name. They said, look, we can see that you've done these things, but this is what you're missing. And they like within a minute and a half, all of his things had been solved and they knew who he was. And because yeah. they had that, you know, we can, you and I both drink a little bit of the Kool-Aid, right? But because they had that <laughs> single source of truth, yeah. uh, they knew exactly what was going on. And that, you know, you can you start to see the value when you can delight your customers so quickly uh, and solve their problem. And mm. yeah, there's the privacy issues. Do people feel creeped out that businesses know where they're up to in their, in their user journey? Um, I think you're naive if people, uh, if you don't think that people are, you know, making sure that you're working your way through their software properly. Yeah, 100%. And like, also, it's coming from a human element. It's... Um, People, you know, you're not using it in a in a non-human way, um, so I, you know, I think people are starting to expect it and understand it now too, especially the younger generation. Um, I, I I think it's the problem too. It's like a lot of problems that are in the globe 
today, solutions already exist. It's just people have got their head in the sand to the problem um, and don't even want to be aware of it. So they don't actually then go and look for it. Um, I think like this, so like this COVID-19 thing, I'm going to, you, you might cut this out later and go, oh, he, he's gone <laughs> off on some weird, weird deviation here. But like COVID-19, there's a whole lot of stuff. It's economically, it's going to really destroy the world for 18, 24, 36 months. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of some people are going to die. People are going to lose their jobs and all that, that stuff. Like we've just parked it off to the side. But yeah. what this is, you know, for me, there's an exciting aspect to this, which is the fact that a lot of businesses are going to be forced to do things that previously they would have gone, oh, no, we don't want to take that risk. But now they're going to go, okay, we've got to try anything to survive this and to come out the other side stronger and ready to thrive. So let's try all of these things that we previously thought might be useful, but were too risk averse to do because we've got to survive this. So now's the time to do something risky. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I couldn't agree with you more. And 24 or whatever it is, quarters in a row of of growth, why would you take the risk? Um, But I I totally agree with you. And it's... um, on other levels of problems, they're all there. And I think the thing that is fascinating in this current situation, how, you know, what is it? Pollution's dropped, like <laughs> all of these things that supposedly could never be fixed or it's gonna take till 2020 to be fixed. It's like, it's happened in three months. <laughs> yeah. So if we don't take learning out of the back of this and go, oh, actually we can move things. And, you know, I've talked about this on a couple of previous podcasts actually, of, you know, it's, it's just a shift in skill set. Don't sack people and don't remove their role. Just shift their skill set. Spend some time to train them and upskill them into using or doing new ways of working. Um, yeah. And, you know, at the core of it, business is going to keep going. This transactions are going to happen. It's just how they happen is changing. And you've got to be up, up to, you know, up to the speed with that. Yeah, exactly. And things like things like working from home, things like leveraging technology so that you you can have people being really productive for four hours a day instead of, you know, spending an hour and a half in the car going to an office somewhere and sitting around and sitting in meetings that are worth nothing. Yeah. Um, how do we use the tools, the technology and really extract the maximum amount of value from people's time in half the amount of time and still get the same amount of stuff done as a society? That's, you know, that's the possibility that could sit on the other side of this. Uh, maybe yeah. I'm a dreamer. But, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like I have read the Tim Ferriss's four hour work week and I'm not, I'm not saying I run that four hour work week, but um, you know, you start empowering the right people, getting the right people in the right seats, getting people that love what they do and automate the tasks that people don't want to do. Um, yeah. You know, having someone like, you know, how many receptionists exist today to just answer the phone? Like, it doesn't exist. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like, but how important is that for some businesses that literally they still have a receptionist because they think it's really important for the business to be the face and all of that. But what's the, how empowering is that job for that person? They probably hate it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, how many people are in bullshit jobs that we don't need? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually talked about this topic yesterday. Of, um, you know, we can go to that abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset. So what's abundance looks like? It's less hours of work, more hours of, you know, connecting with people and family and pleasure at a global scale though. Like you start shifting the way and the ways of working and the way work's done. We can be doing more productive, empowering things. Um, and you know, this is where I get a little bit cranky with people when they say, I, oh, 
you know, outsourcing. It's like, no, you don't outsource mundane work. You work out a system to do that work <laughs> and you, if your partner or whatever it is, you get the right people doing that work. So, um, yeah. 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 Fascinating. Yeah. We, it's, it's fascinating. So now that you've um, seen, you know, people are starting to be more human on the phone. Um, and if not, it's definitely going to happen, you know, now um, for more and more people are going to be more empathetic, I think than ever. What, what problems are you seeing? And especially in this current situation, what problems are you seeing businesses do and how are they leveraging your technology that you just weren't expecting? Um, so I think, Oh, look, look, so some to sort of come back a little bit into some more basic stuff. Um, mm. People are talking more. People are talking more on the phone. Um, obviously, obviously our, our technology enables any business to send their team home and provided they've got an internet connection, they can still continue doing any of their customer facing work that requires them to talk to them. Right. So, mm. you know, we're being leveraged in that regard a lot by lots of people. Mm. Um, but one of the things that we've really noticed is that people previously, like our average call time was something like 80, 90 seconds and it's mm. gone up by two minutes. So people are spending yeah. so much more time when they, when they call someone, I think there's probably an underlying need just to interact with another human. But when they call someone, they're actually spending time to talk to them instead of just some kind of transactional phone call that we previously had. Mm. Um, how else are people leveraging us? Obviously, as I, as I mentioned and touched on, you can send your team home and they can still continue to work. People mm. are really, really learning what their business continuity looks like if they do have to send people home. They're, they're leaning on us a little bit because we're relatively well set up for it. They're asking questions like, you know, what sort of security considerations do we need to have? Uh, what uh, what tools do our team need at home that they might take for granted mm. in the office? Mm. Um, how do we how do we see how do we have oversight that our team are doing what we expect? How do we measure them? Mm. Um, we we've seen a lot of what I'd call more traditional businesses that kind of operate on a on an activity rather than an outcomes type basis, especially managers who are very activity focused. Like has he you know has he answered fifteen phone calls today? Um, or has he spent eight hours at his desk? Or why did he take a 17-minute lunch break instead of a 10-minute lunch break? All oh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, we've got some tools to tell what someone's up to right now. So I can tell right now, for example, that so Joel, he's the last person on our team that, that um, I spoke to. He's at the top of my call list here, and he's been on a phone call for a few seconds. I just saw his presence change. And we've got some tools like that. Mm. But what we're really pushing our customers towards is understanding outcomes rather than activity uh, mm. because ultimately what the business is trying to do is deliver value to their customers that um, they're therefore willing to pay for. Mm. Um, so trying to push our customers towards that and provide, you know, mechanisms for them to do that has been something that we've um, been helping with. Um, we've had requests for, Oh, can you tell me how much time people are spending on the phone each day? And yeah, sure. That information's available, but is it the most relevant information for you to be, um, checking up on. Mm, no, it totally um, makes sense. Makes sense. What's what's maybe the funniest thing that you've seen in the last couple of weeks where you're just like, wow, I wasn't expecting that one. Um, what's the funniest thing I've seen? I think probably one of the things is um, some of the customers, um, and this, I don't know if this, is, if this is funny or not, but we've got... <laughs> 
we've got a range of customers, right? So we've got, you know, your tech companies where everyone's already set up to work from home and they've got a MacBook Pro and a, you know, brand new awesome headset uh, and high speed Wi-Fi and they work from wherever they want to. But then we've got, like, we've got a district council here in New Zealand that's a customer of ours and that's filled with all sorts of people. Um, some of them have been working there for a long time and um, I, I think it's fair to say that when we brought them on as a customer, we were not uh, flavor of the month. <laughs> we were we were new. We were like some young guy from Auckland drives down here and tries to show us what to do. Uh, and we worked hard to really meet their needs and bring them on a journey. But now, you know, they've been with us for over two years now and I've been talking and interacting. Like I send out a weekly email and we talk about you know, what we're doing, how we're surviving, living in our house. I put a picture of the, whatever latest puzzle it is that I'm working on in there. And the people who were the, you know, like were the most established at doing things the old way, let's, let's word it like that. They've come back to me and they're like, well, this is really awesome. You know, thanks for the, the pictures of the puzzle. Here's my puzzle. So people who uh, we really struggled to get across the line are, are going, oh, wow, here's the value in this thing. Uh, that's been really cool. Mm. Um, I think there's one other thing which I can talk about, and um, it happened yesterday. We were a Jabra reseller, and they were scheduled this month. They had a conference in Sydney where they did a big release of all their new products, and um, obviously that couldn't go ahead, so they did it virtually yesterday. And they organized the weirdest way of demonstrating their new headsets, and it was basically this like blind dating online exercise with three guys wearing three headsets and someone asking questions, trying to get engagement from people. <laughs> so it's fair to say that some people's experimentations around ways to take you know, previously physical things online has been uh, an absolute balls up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. It's, that um, is gonna be really interesting to see how you know, the traditional enterprise rollout of, you know, the playbook, which traditionally is a bit of a digital presence, regional marketing events, regional events, regional, then, you know, trade shows, like how that's going to get deployed. Um, yeah. You know, the SMB market's actually way, way ahead of the enterprise market in that space. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it that's going to be fascinating, I think, is an outcome down the track. Yeah. yeah it's amazing how... Oh, like we're lucky, right? You and I are lucky, and the, most of our customers are really lucky because we can we can try something like that, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, we we, we pivot somewhere else. But yeah. large corporates, man, they they can take so much time to to create something. Yeah, and this this sort of environment needs you to be responsive. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um just on that too. I think like one of the businesses that is obviously flying in this environment is Zoom, um, and I, I read in an article, this is a couple of years ago, that when they had their first board meeting, so they've only ever had two face-to-face -face meetings at business. And the first one, there was, it was two board meetings. The first one was to install Zoom on their computer. And then the second one was to make sure they knew how to use Zoom. <laughs> um, and it just shows though that you can do these things. Yes, face-to-face -face is absolutely important at times, but it's not you know it's not the number one thing anymore and we, people are too busy for it too like like you said before you know i if i could do my job in three hours a day without having to go and sit in the car to see five people i could do those meetings in two hours um yeah 20 minute blocks it's just as valuable yeah i'll come and see you a couple of times a year or once a year but not not just for a coffee <laughs> yeah 
and I think there's a lot of, and this is slightly off to the side, but I was, yeah. um, I think it was Vidyard who were giving me a, an overview of some of their stuff a wee while ago. And I was talking to one of the team there and they said, hey, look, what, what, this is what I do in my sales process. I send them a video. It's five minutes. It covers off all of the basic boring stuff that I'm going to do at the end, at the beginning of every, every call. And it's yeah. the stuff that prompts the questions. And it's yeah. the stuff about which we're actually going to have the real conversation. And when you do that stuff in person, you, you know, because you're doing it in person, you go to the effort of doing it all live every single time. But if you can seed your meeting with all of the stuff that's really important, but mundane, and once viewed, gets the questions going, and everyone arrives at the meeting with all their questions and ready to start the actual conversation, you can speed up that process instead of having five people sitting around doing nothing. Mm. You can have a really productive conversation and maybe your meeting only needs to be 20 minutes instead of 40 or 50 or 60 minutes. Mm. Uh, so yes, yeah, you know, speaking to that point about people becoming more productive and actually having meetings that deliver an outcome. 100%, 100%. That can be an outcome of this whole period to get rid of pointless meetings that would be awesome yeah oh look how much time and pointless meetings presenteeism sitting in the office because you feel like you've got to be there for eight hours or nine hours or whatever it is uh instead of just doing what needs to be done delivering what it is that the business needs on that particular day and yeah. going and going for a bike ride or doing a yoga practice or kicking a ball around or whatever it might be 100 percent, 100 percent. so starting to switch gears a little bit and talk about your journey as a business owner and what your, you know, your vision probably personally and um, within this current business at Cradle, like what did the vision originally look like and, you know, what's it looking like today and how's that journey been? Yeah. So originally, look, so we, we called this company talk like humans when we first started. Um, yeah. It was just kind of like a placeholder name. And, um, I am a big believer in the value of social connections and especially when it comes to people in business who do business with each other, right? There's that trust element that you need to have in order to um, back someone to do what it is that you need from them and vice versa. Uh, and I believe that a lot of that is built on the social interactions that you're able to have with people. And sometimes mm. that's meeting up and having a beer and sometimes it's just being able to jump on the phone and have a call and actually talk like a human. Mm -hmm. um, so the vision was to create something that it, to bridge that gap between being with someone and not being with someone, but still having the same experience for people um, mm. where you meet them, you recognize who it is. You can actually have that human conversation um, and basically take the telephone experience from being a shit one to being a really awesome one. Mm -hmm. um, where, where have we got to and what has changed? Look, nothing's really changed. That's still what we want to do. We want to help people talk to each other. Yeah. Um, the way that we've gone about it over the last four years has changed a little bit. And all that this has highlighted, all that this COVID-19 thing has highlighted is that we're actually really relevant. Um, previously, yeah. people went, oh, yeah, we could do that. But, you know, our PBX in the closet kind of works. Now people are calling us and going, man, everyone's at home. We, we need the phone. We can't, we can't help our customers if we can't talk to them on the phone. Can you set us up now? Mm. So there's been a lot of um, emergency setups of our software. And I think mm. this presents for us and for our industries um, a big opportunity uh, mm. once the world pulls out of this place. 
Um, but mm. I think fundamentally the, the, the vision of a, a more connected and human interaction between businesses where people can just pick up the phone and talk to each other or have a piece of technology that allows them to communicate uh, using mm. the best method is mm. still very much there. Mm. You, you start to think about the future of work and be like, um, you know, Siri, call it whatever you want, but it'd be like, hey, Siri, video call James. Or it's like, hey, Siri, I just want to chat to him. Can you just call him? Hey, hey Siri, send James an email about this. Oh, hey, Siri, can you get an update on that project? They don't even have to ask James. It'll just tell me. Like, I think that's quite cool. <laughs> um, so then when I do have that meeting or conversation with you, it's not about business. It's about who you are, what you're working on, or what, what your challenges are. You know, not about the transaction or the product or the service that you're talking about. Um, and I, I think that's a better place to be too. So um, I think, yeah, you, you, your story and journey is amazing. So I love it. Um, it's it's yeah. really cool to, cool to hear and listen. Yeah, look, I think one of the interesting things is going to be how our approach uh, transfers across into different cultures. So in the past, obviously, I've done a lot of business up in up in North America, uh, mm. a decent amount in Europe, and then all around the rest of the world as well with spider tracks. Mm. Uh, New Zealand and Australia have a, I would call it a very similar business culture. We, you know, we spend the first five minutes of each meeting talking about what we did on the weekend and what's happening in the the footy, the rugby, the you know whatever it might be, depending on where you are. Yeah. Um, the North American approach is very much more sort of cut to the chase and transactional. Yeah. Um, you know, the Americans are very time is money, click your fingers, make sure, you know, let's make this a, a good time, not a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to see what our approach and our, you know, this kind of thinking does when you apply it in that context. Uh, but I guess that's a, you know, it's a part of our journey that still lies in front of us. Yeah, it's, very it's 100 percent. like i don't know how that'll play out (laughs) um i i agree with i think maybe americans when you like you know we met in the us we met at boston and that isn't you know it's an amazing event but i think that's probably one of the more human um probably ecosystems around too um yeah you know if you look at what hubspot are doing it's trying to make businesses better to be more human (laughs) at the end of the day Yeah, the whole philosophy around grow better is, um, yeah, it's, well, I like it. That's why we align with HubSpot, right? It's because it it fits and it feels right um, and well aligned with our values, so. Yeah, and like I'm exactly the same. Um, And it's it's just fascinating too because everyone you speak to and you end up interacting with, you have these great conversations. So I think that's the values at the deep down level, how ingrained they are and how important they are to most businesses. And I can sort of say personally where we've had challenges with clients is because there's a mass value disconnect. Um, And, and even that transactional stuff in the U S it can flip to be like, all right, deep down, once you get past that, they will open up. Um, Just take their time. (laughs) Yeah. I think they find the same with us. I think they, they find that um, the culture is so different. They don't know how to interact with us properly to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, t- totally, totally. So, obviously, four years of helping people talk to each other, um, and the current environment and everything that's going on. What would one or two tips coming at a business that is, you know, I'm going to talk two things here. One that is going holy, holy smokes, we've got to actually do something here. <laughs> What's really important, and then two, you know. I'm okay, but I really need to start thinking about what the future looks like from a business. Like, 
how would you go about it when you've got a lot of people that you employ? Um, you know, at the end of the day, you're feeding lots of families and there's a lot of pressure on you. You know, what would that tip be to get through this and leverage your like systems like you and digital technologies to, to make your business get through and help you through this challenging time? Yeah, so I think like, both of those are going to be underpinned by whatever your values are, right? And you mentioned it there, you've got a lot of people that work for you. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of dinner that gets put on the table every night. Um, so different people are going to have a different approach based on what their values are and what's important to them. Um, I look, look from a from a tech perspective. Let's say things are okay. Um, your people are often and probably always going to be your biggest resource, right? And if you can leverage those people and really listen to everyone on your team and what they're hearing from customers. Yeah. Um, and what they're seeing, um, you, you've got a huge resource here that you can already go and leverage to understand where you can make improvements. Um, mm. You, if you if you've done well and you've got a decent amount of data that you can quickly access, um, like for us, we can we can look on a minute by minute basis at how many calls people are making, how how much time people are spending on the phone, whether people's calls are actually good or not. We can mm. we can um, you know look at our data and respond really well. So if you're set up and you've got that strong data about what's important for your industry and your business, then you can, you can see the opportunity and your team who are closer to the, uh, to the ground, they're going to see a lot of that as well. So leveraging them to maximize the opportunities or minimize the downside of this would be where I'd go first and where we have gone first. Mm. Um, and like if, you know, if times are, t you know, if times are tough and you're in that, um, probably half of businesses that are really struggling. Again, big values questions around what you do. Sometimes you're not going to be able to keep your entire team on. Mm. Um, so how do you do those things in a way that respects the, the time and effort and, and work that people have given you in the past? Um, there are some really big questions there. And I don't, I, I don't know if I can answer that question well enough without more sort of context to a particular business situation but i think going yeah. back to what is you know where your values set would be the first place that i'd be looking yeah. yeah i i think you've answered that really well and you know if you were to remove the manager mindset and go right if i empower my team to just make their day and job easier what would they do <laughs> it'd be fascinating yeah. to see how much efficiency gain you would get out of your business Instead yeah. of saying, no, 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 we can't do that. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, I've got this, um, I've got this, I'm not sure if you can see this here, but I've got this post-it note, which I, I, you know, remind myself to keep asking these questions, you know, what's working and what's not working and, uh, you know, what can we, how can we use that as a starting point for our team to look at the things that we should, A, do more and B, stop doing altogether or mm, change. Mm, um, how, yeah. how regularly do you... Like you're obviously looking at it every day, but how regularly do you as a team sit down and go, right, what's working, what's not? Um, so look, we are, what we've done is we used to have stand-ups every morning. We would kind of, and it became a little bit formulaic. This is what I'm doing. This is what I did yesterday. A little bit based on the agile scrum model from Software Dev. Um, mm -hmm. But we've made those a lot more meaningful now. So we're meeting every, every morning. Mm -hmm. um, and we... Um, we're kind of, oh, sorry, I'm just getting a call here. Um, we've, um, yeah, it's going to ring over here in a minute as well. Uh, <laughs> we've um, pushed that further 
uh, and we're just asking those questions all the time. So, you know, we're not waiting, we're not having formal planning sessions, we're not doing any of that sort of thing. We're mm. just uh, hitting them as soon as we can. Mm. Uh, the, this is, as I said earlier about larger companies taking a lot longer to, you know, turn the Titanic around, um, we, can, we can make a change just like that. We decided yeah. two weeks ago that our website was crap. And so we went out and a week later, we changed the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the sort of thing that we as a smaller business can afford to do and can yeah. pull off. Yeah, yeah. No, I think they're, they're great tips and always be challenging yourself um, how you can get better, not necessarily bigger or stronger. Like what, what will get, you know, how do you become better? <laughs> Um, yeah. Like I, I do that personally. Is like, what's my happiness radar? If I'm not, if I'm not high on a happiness radar, there's something that's not right. Generally, underpinning to my values personally as well. Um, yeah. And you just challenge that. Um, so over these challenging times, it's full on. But tell, get get a bit uh, braggy here. Tell us some of your success stories, and I suppose where where the business is at today. Um, you know, and where you see it in the next couple of years. But um, you know, a couple of those success stories where you're at. Yeah, so look, I think it's uh, our team needs a pat on the back. We've doubled revenue last year, and we just closed out the financial year. And and um, for a, an earlier sort of bootstrap business, we've done really well, uh, which I think you know really un, um, demonstrates how you know we are bringing value to our customers. Um, what else is worth bragging about? I, I think the thing that you know, one of the things that keeps me coming to work is that our customers love us, eh? Um, if more than more than three quarters of our customers, when we ask them, basically tell us that they love us. Yeah. And even the people who were like, oh, I don't really want to change technology. I just want a phone that sits on the desk. Uh, I don't really care if you save the fact that I had a phone call. I don't want any of that. Once they've had us, they go, oh, I love you guys. Um, <laughs> so delivering value and having that demonstrated both financially as a bit of a dipstick, but also just sort of through the stories that our customers tell and the way they talk about us uh, has been really, really cool. Uh, we've yeah. done a series of case studies over the last three weeks since we've been in lockdown. Um, we've had someone who's sort of semi external to the business doing these case studies for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's a, an element of neutrality there and the feedback from this person has just been, wow, these, these customers all love what you do, how you interact with them uh, and what your product does for their business. So that's, that's been really cool. Yeah, mate, that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, especially to have an external source do that and challenge those, those, those questions. Um, I think that is very exciting and you've got a, you know, a very exciting future and it, out of, um, you know, obviously Australia and NZ and a bit of the U S like how many countries are you guys in now and can you service most of the world? Yeah, so we're, um, I think we've probably got customers in about five or six countries and we've yeah. got users, we've got users in more countries than that because a lot of our customers, even though they're like, for example, New Zealand based, they might have an Aussie office, a South African office, a UK yeah. office, you know, like this sort yeah. of spread around. Yeah. Um, so we're making, you know, like the decent number of calls going through our service. Uh, we had a... I think it was a 40% increase in, in calls over the course of this period, which wow. just goes to show you how much more time people are spending on the phone with this, yeah. uh, with this thing going on. Yeah. Um, and like growth wise, where do we go next? I think 
I don't know. We'll see. It's, I think we're really following HubSpot. We're, we're very vertically integrated with them and, and where yeah. HubSpot's successful and people of medium-sized businesses want to talk to their customers, we end up going there. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. You're um, like obviously the, the cornerstone of this conversation and podcast is about people trying to do things better in a more sustainable way. And, you know, I think you're, you're a really nice shining light to that. So I want to say, you know, thanks for coming along and thanks for sharing your story. Um, we better start to bring it to ground because I'm sure you've got lots of people you need to talk to. <laughs> um, but James, I really appreciate you uh, joining the conversation. So how do um, people find you? What's the best channel or you know, place to find you if they want to reach out? Yeah, so you can give us a call um, in Aussie 03859599965 or in New Zealand 09887933. Um, phone number, I, I must be like autistic or something because phone, no, phone <laughs> numbers it. never leave me. Uh, yeah. But you can hit our website, cradle.io, uh, and all of our details are on there. You can, yeah, best way to get in touch with us is on the phone, of course. Amazing, amazing. Well, James, thank you very much. I really appreciate it again. And um, stay safe. And I hope that uh, the NZ lockdown doesn't, well, it, it becomes unlocked sooner than later because you guys, I think, have done a pretty amazing job. So stay safe and uh, keep things rocking, my friend. Yeah, thank you very much, Charles.